Good morning, family. Good morning. Whether you're joining us from your couch, a watch party, a friend or neighbor's house, welcome. Are you ready to experience spiritual freedom that overflows into all areas of your life? Today, Pastor Louis will share what it means to say yes to Jesus in our finances. Remember, we grow every time we say yes to Jesus and stagnate every time we say no to Him. So we hope you're all set to say yes and experience explosive grace in your life. Let's worship and praise Him in faith for the breakthrough that's already begun. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, let the people clap their hands. Angels shout, the redeemed have come to dance. To celebrate, to celebrate, he reigns. The Lord reigns, the Lord reigns, the Lord reigns. We will sing and shout. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, let the people clap their hands. The angels shout, the redeemed have come to dance. To celebrate, to celebrate, He reigns. The Lord reigns, the Lord reigns, the Lord reigns. We will sing and shout. rage when the king is on his throne now and forever you will reign let all the people sing of your awesome power in all the earth let darkness tremble at your name why do the nations rage when the king is on his throne now and forever you will reign the lord reigns the lord reigns the lord reigns we will sing and shout you reign you reign you reign forever 
so good to worship you, Lord, in this evening, in this night, here in this home, to bring glory and praise unto your name. And we want to invite our viewers this morning to come and worship with us as we here in this community group to sing praise unto our God, to lift his name and to declare how great he is. Amen. It's so good worshiping with you all here this evening. Giving praise to our God. Amen. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice Let all the earth rejoice He wraps himself tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great
this rock you build your church and you have given us the keys heaven's gates are open wide that all may
Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your praise. Making your hearts cry. Let us experience the glory of your good. Let us become, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence thank you holy spirit that you are with us and that you enable us to give everything to the father because we love him and because he's so faithful and so good to us. And thank you for your presence with us today. And that you linger with us in this time. And strengthen us, encourage us, instruct us in your word. And we, we, we just say, Lord, come by your spirit right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's your opportunity to worship the Lord through your giving. So right now, uh, won't you continue to, as you've always done, uh, give to the Lord from the heart of worship that you have and from a heart of such gratitude for his faithfulness to you. So just please follow the prompts on the screen, use SnapScan or the bank account details, and uh, pay your tithes and uh, give your offerings. Thank you for that. Well, today we're carrying on with our series that we're doing on saying yes to Jesus and what it means in certain aspects of our lives. And last week we spoke about relationships. Today we're going to have a bit of fun and we're going to talk about money. What does it mean? What impact does it have on our relationship with money that when we say yes to Jesus? And come on, let's be all honest that we all need money and we all want money. We all have a relationship with money. There's not one of us that cannot interact with money in some way and, and money is such an important part of our lives. You know, as somebody once said, where there's a will, I want to be in it. We're always looking for ways to get money and uh, always looking for tips about, you know, how do we get money? And, and, and you know, and somebody suggested, for instance, that always borrow money from a pessimist. He won't expect it back. So, you know, there's some good financial advice and we're always looking for that little bit of a trick. And, and where can we make a bit of extra money? And the comedian Stephen Wright once said, Why is it a penny for your thoughts, but you have to put your two cents in? Somebody's making a penny. And we're always looking for that opportunity. How can we make a bit more money? And, you know, even in the scripture, money is important. There's over 2,300 references into the scripture about money and how we use it. So, 
We may not want to like to talk about money, and sometimes people get all squirrely when the church talks about money and think, you know, some, some people think the church is only interested in money, and uh, therefore we shouldn't talk about money, but unfortunately Jesus doesn't really give us that option because he, he himself also spoke a lot about money and about our relationship with money. And one of the key verses that he spoke, and he spoke so clearly, there's no ambiguity in this verse, is in Matthew 6 verse 24, and I want to start with that verse and say, where Jesus said to us, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and serve money. And that's what Jesus said. So Jesus found it necessary to talk to us and all of his followers about our relationship with money. And he basically said that if you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no, not no to money, but no to being enslaved or ruled by money. So having said yes to Jesus, it changes our relationship with money. Because let's be honest, in this world today, it's probably the thing that most people serve is money. Uh, even you know, religious people, even people that are, are, you know, have, would state that they serve other things. So often, the thing that they're really pursuing and chasing and, and, and are, are working at a relationship with is money. But what does it mean? How does it impact on our lives when we've said yes to Jesus and, and how we work with money and spend money and gain money? And uh, that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. And uh, I want to talk again, just like last week, a little bit from my personal experience and both Natasha and I, and just our relationship with money, not because we've got it all right and everything, but just, you know, share some of our experience. Now, both Natasha and I came from a, a situation that had a difficult relationship with money. In fact, both of our families lost their homes just before we left home. And uh, so we experienced bankruptcy. We came from homes that experienced bankruptcy. And so when we started our lives, we both left home at the age of 18. I went into military service, as we had to do in those days. Tasha left home uh, from Rustenburg, where she grew up, and came to Pretoria, uh, not knowing anybody here, not knowing exactly what she's going to come and do, but had 350 rand in her pocket and uh, came and left home. And uh, so both of us, when we left home at 18 years old, really couldn't rely on our families anymore. And uh, our parents, as much as they would have wanted to and, and liked to and hoped to be able to help and support us financially, they couldn't. And so we had to venture into this adult world with really no financial support and no money, actually, in, an, in our pockets or, or you know, not having much. And... Um, it, it began our own journey with how do we relate to money. And so some of what I want to share with you today is really from that experience and how we had to begin with nothing and to start our life's journey with money uh, and to grow what we understood to be how we relate to money, having said yes to Jesus. And also remember, like I said last week, for us having said yes to Jesus was having said yes to Jesus as his personal savior, to follow him. But it also meant saying yes to Jesus because of his call on our lives for vocational ministry. And what did that mean? And how did we build a relationship with money? And so we learned a couple of lessons along the way. And there's four things that I want to share with you today that are sort of main lessons that we learned and that have stood us in good stead. And I trust that these four lessons would be translatable in your situation and will be helpful to you. The first lesson we learned is... You have to direct your money. Direct your money. Um, in Matthew, again, Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 21, 
Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And uh, he said this in the context of money again. And he's saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be directed towards that. So our relationship with money and how we spend money and gain money has a directional quality in our lives. It directs us. And we have to understand that either your money is going to direct your life or you are going to direct your money. Having said yes to Jesus, you actually said yes to a relationship where, where money is secondary in your life. Not even secondary. It's like, you know, it's, it's lower down on the list. It, uh, but because you've put Jesus first, money comes, you know, somewhere lower down the list. And uh, like we spoke about things last week. And now you have to assume a place where you're not allowing money to direct the direction of your life. But you're saying, Lord, what is your will and how do I direct my money towards your will? So it fundamentally changes the, the way we relate to money. And uh, I want to say to you that ultimately at the end of the day, we must remember that money in and of itself is not good or bad. It, is, it can be very powerful and its power is in the fact that it enables us to do what we want to do. Money uh, enables us to act on our value system. I love what uh, Suzanne Neck in the 18th century, uh, Necker said in the 18th century. She said, fortune does not change men, it unmasks them. Having money and how we spend money and how we gain money reveals so much about who we are. And that's why Jesus spoke about it so often. Because he recognized it's one of the quickest ways that you can... Do like a little bit of a stock take on somebody's life is look at their relationship with money and it'll tell you what's in their heart. Because the, where their heart is, their treasure will be directed. You know, the where their treasure is, sorry, their heart will be directed to that. And you quickly see it with money. Um, and, and like somebody said, in our financial habits is the one of the places in our lives where there's a clear scorecard. Where you know, you can measure how somebody's doing in terms of their finances very clearly and also where their heart is. Now making money is hard, isn't it? To, to gain money, to gather the money that we need in life is hard. But to spend money is easy. It's like money is this weird thing where when it flows towards you, it crawls. But when it flows away from you, it runs. It's like water. It just goes. And most of us have experienced that you go at the end of the month and you go, now where did my money go? What happened? We always seem to be spending more than we think we're spending. We're always thinking that, you know, we, we're doing better than what we are with our habits with money. And, and it's because of that reality that we need to be very intentional with how we direct our money, how we exercise control over exact, especially how we spend our money. And today I want to bring you in on a secret. I want to, I want to tell you about a tool that I've been using for a long time that's really changed my financial life and it has has made things for me so much better it's given me the ability to direct my money to control the spending of my money in that it goes towards the places i wanted to go but also in the measures that i wanted to go and and i i should really charge you for this bit of information but because i'm a pastor and i love you i'm going to give you this for free if you if you use this tool it'll change your life it is the one thing you need to direct your money this thing is this fantastic thing called a budget. A budget. A budget, when we write a budget, it is nothing other than the 
commitment of how we direct our money. It's how you tell your money where it must go is you write a budget. If you don't have a budget, your money is going to end up going in places that you didn't want it to go or you didn't think or you didn't plan for. And that's how you start getting in trouble because your money flows away from you very easily. There's not many people in life that wants to give you money, but there's lots of people that wants to take your money. Everywhere we go, we've got people asking us to spend our money and give our money towards what they think is important for us. So if you don't direct your money, if you don't have a commitment and speak to your money, and the way you speak to your money is through a written down budget, and where you sit and you list. And Natasha and I, this is one of the first things we started in our own financial journeys. And because we had such bad experiences with finances and such bad uh, you know, and we saw it firsthand how money can just flow away from a family and, and the, the problems and the, the challenges that brings. We began right from the word go and we started a budget. Even when we didn't have a lot of money, we started a budget. And that budget was like our covenant with our finances to say, you will go in this direction this month. Sometimes what it helped us to do is to know how much we had to trust the Lord for because we didn't have steady income. We knew how much we trusted the Lord for, but we also knew what we had to do and what we had to cover. And um, your, 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 your budget is, is, really the, is, is really the way you command your finances, and it helps you to give account to yourself for your finances. Come on, let's be honest. I mean, you know, you, you, you sit down and, and then you, you forget that you actually bought something like that. And now you think you have this much money in your account because the bank hasn't taken it off yet. And then it comes off and then you're like, oh, now I'm in trouble because I, I, I didn't remember that I spent that. Now I've overspent and now my, my money's going to run out and I still have. And if you don't budget, you end up in a situation like that all the time. So because Natasha and I said yes to Jesus, we began to understand that we had to direct our money. And we had to direct our money towards Jesus, towards his calling on our lives, towards that which is his purpose and his plan, that which was the kingdom lifestyle. And the way we took control of that is to say, okay, we're going to tell our money. The first line item in our budget has always been our tithe. And then, you know, we list it from there. And we say, this is where the money will go. And we then make sure that it goes that way. Now, Natasha and I have always had the habit, since, since we started earning salaries, and I'll talk a little bit about more that, about that later, but that we put our money together. We, we have separate accounts, but our budget is a together budget. She doesn't have a budget, and I don't have a budget. We have a together budget. So we both put our finances, our income, um, into that budget. And we agree together about what we will do with our finances. Our budget is our place of agreement also. Um, and it's from that place that we both together direct our finances. And um, it, it, if something changes, for instance, and we have to want to do something different or have to do something new, then we only do that because we agree on it together. And, and we agree that this is where our finances will go. Now, because we, we do that, we agreed a, a while ago already, quite a while ago, that there's a certain amount of money that Natasha gets in a month for her to spend and do what she wants to. Now, I want to say I'm really blessed with a wife that is really good at, how, at making money. If she needs extra money for something... She understands. She's part of our budget. She knows like, if she feels that something needs to be done and it doesn't fit in our budget, she'll say, okay, I'm going to go and do something and make some extra money. Then she makes stuff and crafts or whatever she does, 
and, and she's really good with that, at how to gather money and get money together far better than what I am. And then, and then she'll pay for that. But she's got some money that is hers. I don't check up on that. It's not part of our budget. That she can do with, with what she wants to. Um, I know we live in a day and age where so often, because money is the number one reason couples fight and many divorces happen over, couple, uh, over money, sorry, for instance, and uh, we so often have challenges with my, money that people believe the way to deal with that is to have separate finances. The wife has her own income and the husband has her own income. I want to tell you, the scripture says, where two or three agree on something, where two agree on something, there's power. And the, I want to tell you, if you want to change your financial situation, be a husband and wife that agree on your finances. There's power in a husband and wife in a covenant relationship agreeing on something. Now, I know it's fantastic how God puts us together with our spouses, how often we are so opposite, even in our financial habits, we are so opposite. That normally in a family, you have the one that is the, the bean counter, the one that you know, wants to hold on to the money, and then you have the other one in the family that wants to spend the money. And, uh, and, and so often you may be tempted to say, well, okay, that's why we need, because we just don't. But can I tell you, when you work together as a husband and wife, as the spender and, and the gatherer, you begin to have empathy with one another. You begin to understand one another. And, and you become a whole because you have the two sides of the coin. I'm the one in our family that is the, that is the gatherer, that is the person that wants to hold on. That's why I run our budget. Uh, you know, Natasha's part of it, but I run the budget. I keep eye on the budget. I check the details. I'm always aware of what we have and what we don't have. Um, and she's the one that, you know, like I said, can make money, but she, she's also the one that knows when money has to go to things. And often she'll know that it has to go to something, and we have to spend on something, and, and all I see is, no, no, we've got the money, let's keep it. Money in the bank is better than any other money. Um, and I've learned to understand her and know when she says, look, we have to invest in this or buy this or do this, She's generally the, the right person. Now, I'm, I, for instance, find it easier to spend money on experiences, going on holidays. That I would always find money for us to have a break and go on a holiday. Where she is not so, you know, that's not her first thing. That she'd, she'd rather want to invest in other things. And we've learned together to trust one another, to hear one another. And it takes time. And sometimes we have disagreements, don't get me wrong, but we make such a better team together. And directing your money as a family, as a married couple, is a team effort. And there's power in that agreement. It will turn your financial situation around if you have agreement as a couple. Now, I know many of you are not couples, and you're in your own responsibility for your finances, and and, but it still applies. You have to direct your finances. You have to be the one that's in charge. Otherwise, your finances will govern your life. And that's a really sad place to be. Once you start living life because you have to gain money, because perhaps you got yourself in debt, now you have to get money. And I know that happens. And with COVID-19, so many bad things happened and people lost jobs or income was cut and it was difficult times. But that's why we direct our finances. And particularly in the times where we have, we direct our money towards the right things. So that even the times when we struggle, that same habit can continue. And we're in that. So the first lesson we learned and practically is direct your money. Use a budget to direct your expenditure. The next one I want to tell you is to learn. We learned, we had to learn to denounce debt. To denounce debt. 
Romans 13 verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. Proverbs 22 verse 7, the last bit says, The borrower is slave to the lender. Debt is one of the instruments in our world that brings great pressure and stress on people. And we live in a nation that struggles with debt. We have really bad, collectively as a nation, we have very bad financial habits. Um, the average South African now owes about 20,000 Rand on their credit card right now. That's what the statistics tell us. Every, the average South African has 20,000 Rand that's on their credit card that they're paying exorbitant interest on. And, but it's, it's like, you know, they just, they just, there's a number of things they had to do, and it's like this running debt. I'm not talking about, you know, they have 20,000 Rand, but at the end of the month they're going to pay it all off, but consistently have 20,000 Rand a month that they owe on their credit card. In, uh, in 2019, I don't know if you know this, our collective debt as people in the nation, not the government's debt, our debt, was 1.7 trillion rand. The collective debt of all South Africans together, 1.7 trillion rand. The government at that stage owed just over 2 trillion rand. So, you know, we can wag our fingers at the government and tell them, you know, they're not doing well with their debt management, but, you know, we've got to point the finger at ourselves also. We seem to be not doing so well. We've got a lot of debt. Um, more than half of the people in South Africa are struggling to pay off their debt currently, are under pressure, are feeling the, the, the heat when it comes to managing their debt. The average South African has a total of 70,000 rand voluntary debt that they carry with them. That's not debt related to things like property and, and big ticket. That's, that's what we call voluntary debt is this idea of lifestyle debt. Just, you know, clothing accounts, uh, other, other types of accounts. 70,000 rand. That means the average South African is li living like this. And they're they trying to every now and then just have a bit of breathing space. But you know, the problem with debt is unless you're really intentionally working at it, it just keeps growing. It just increases. Unless you start cutting something, you, you're never going to do this. So the average South African living like this already, now you add problems, you know, economic problems and COVID and everything on it, and then they go like this. Where, the, where we should be living in a life where, where we like this, where we've actually got room that if the bad stuff happens, that we've over time built up. Now I know young people, they haven't had time yet to build up reserves. And I understand that. But it's consistent behavior and particularly how we deal with debt that puts us either like this or like this, where there's space to deal with challenges or we have no space to deal with challenges. A local psychologist, I think he's from Peter Marisburg, Clive Willow, said the following, that people go into voluntary debt to maintain a lifestyle. Because we live in a society which focuses on consumerism and people's identities are established by what they have, buying what they have, buying things is a way of maintaining a lifestyle which is really not necessary. See, and that's, that's why we want debt. We want debt so that we can spend on things that we, what we think we need because they give us identity. We, you know, and we live in the day and the age where you don't, you know, in the old days, they had the thing of you, you live up to the Joneses, the people next door. Now our Joneses aren't next door. They're on Instagram. 
And you know, people on Instagram put these amazing photos of their holidays. And they show, and, and everybody's got this perfect life. The kids are dressed so fantastically. They eat at the best restaurants. And, and we look at that and you go, oh, you know, my life is so boring and so bland. I don't have that kind of life. And, and, and we compare to the Joneses and we think, you know, I, I want to have that life. And if I don't have that, then my life has no value and I don't have value. And then I'm just a nobody. We don't know how much debt that person had to make to pay for that holiday. And um, we don't know, you know, that they're eating at the fancy restaurant tonight, but for the rest of the time they're living on, on scraps because they don't have enough. But we all try and live up to the Joneses. And, and we get tempted to, to, to add meaning and value to ourselves because of what we have and what we can spend. Rachel Cruz said, your self-worth is not your net worth. What you spend is not what gives you worth. You see, our problem in, in South Africa and so many parts of the world is, is we don't live up to our income. We live up to our credit rating. We don't live within the means of what we gain. We live within the means of what we are told we can get as credit. And the difference between what you earn and what your credit is, that's the very dangerous part. Because there's where the interest lies. There's where, where you become a slave to somebody else. Because somebody else can determine your life and determine and can, and, and can start making demands on you. It's in that space where the trouble lies. It's in that space where we get ourselves in trouble. Because Natasha and I came from homes where we lost our homes and bankruptcy and bad debt and all of that, we, we had a fear of debt, man. When we got married, we, <clears throat> we were afraid of any form of debt. And we, but we started our married life together with nothing. I mean, nothing. We had, I had a 1969 Mini. It was a fantastic, cute little red car with a white top, like a two-tone car. It was beautiful. It started easily. It drove very nicely for that little 999cc engine that it had. It drove nicely, but it didn't stop so well. The brakes never worked quite well. But that's the car we had when we got married. And all we had actually was we had the, the stuff that people gave us at our wedding presents. And uh, so we had, somebody gave us, my mom I think gave us a bed, which is fantastic, we had a bed. Um, and then we got, had like lots of towels and we had some wonderful kitchenware. The problem is our, stu our friends were all students studying for ministry and our families didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't we really get a great start in life. And, and then in, uh, we, our first job that we got, the, the one year in our 20s that we actually got a paying salary, was uh, for a year we ran the year of your life in 1993. And so as part of the deal, the church gave us this lovely little two-bedroom house close to Hatfield. And, uh, and we would live there, and it was a beautifully architecturally designed little house, but we had nothing to put in it. When we moved in, we had our bed, and we had clothes, and you know, we had our towels and our, our kitchenware. We didn't have any furniture other than that. I didn't even own a, a, a God knows, man. We had to like, oh, heck, now what we do, we start life. But we made a decision. We agreed that we were not going to make debt. And so our furniture, people started feeling sorry for us. And they gave us the odds pieces. They gave us the leftovers. And they gave us the stuff they wanted to actually throw away. And that was our furniture. And we had to do a lot of hosting of people because we ran Year of Your Life. We would often have students and, and uh, groups in our house. And we had to you know, entertain people. And I remember, for instance, we had this white 
little box dining uh, lounge suite that somebody wanted to throw away and they give it to us. Now you can think, it's white, it's second hand, it wasn't so white anymore. No matter how we scrubbed it, we couldn't get it to look nice. And the thing was so uncomfortable that when our friends visited us or people, they ended up sitting on the floor rather than sitting on the couch. The, all the couch was good for was to lean against when you sat on the floor. And it was horrible. We had, we had nothing. But we decided we're not going to have debt. And so we would do extra jobs, Natasha particularly. We'd go and find extra work and sell things and make money. And so we bought a fridge, for instance. And then we would add, but everything we bought, we had to wait for, we had to pray for, we had to trust the Lord for, but we bought cash. Because when you buy things cash, it, you know, we always say it, it's not a problem to have stuff as long as your stuff doesn't have you. One way you want to make sure your stuff doesn't have you is wait to pay for it in cash. Pray about it. Trust the Lord for it. Because often by the time you actually get to the place where you've got the money, you realize, I don't actually need that thing. And I've worked so hard and trusted so hard for the money that there's something better I can do with it. So we, we stayed away from debt. And that was our, our plan up until now. I, I can remember the mistake we made with debt when we were reasonably newly married is we wanted to buy a video recorder. Remember the days of video, VHS recorders. And so I went and bought, bought one. We got a credit card for the first time. And I went and bought bought this video recorder. I didn't understand that you pay the interest that you pay on it. And man, and when I saw that first bill and I realized for two years, I think it was, I'm going to have to pay every month this money with the interest and everything. We, we realized never again will we do that. And I think that's the only thing we've ever bought on credit. And we paid that off as quickly as we could. But I said, never again am I going to you know, if we, if we want something, we pray for it, we save for it, we work extra for it, we do what we need to, but we buy things when we have the money. And, and that stood us in good stead always. Sometimes we didn't have what we felt we needed or wanted, and, uh, but it really helped us. The first thing we actually bought on debt was our first house. In 1999, we were able to buy our first house, which is an old house, but a biggish house. And we bought it for 210,000 rand. Doesn't that sound fantastic? To buy a property for 210,000 rand. And um, we were able to buy that house. But from the word go, we said, we're going to work and we're going to get extra money. And we're going to put it into paying off that house as quickly as we can. And we were able to pay that house off in less than 10 years, even with some improvements we did to it. Um, and, and used money for that, we were able to pay it off in less than 10 years. And that gave us real momentum in our lives. But that meant, you know, when we had four children, and they're close together, you know, our four boys are within six years from one another. That meant generally we always had two on nappies. And I can tell you now, we spent close to 50,000 rand on nappies. Now, talking about literally throwing money in the toilet. We spent lots of money on nappies. And I can remember, I'd budgeted for nappies. And I prayed every month, please, Lord, forgive me for saying this, but please, Lord, let not one of the children get diarrhea. Because you know when their stomachs are upset, they use 10 nappies a day, diapers a day, instead of, you know, four or five. And there goes my budget. So we didn't have a lot of money. We had to really work hard um, at, at just having money. But we trusted the Lord every month to put extra into the bond. And that's why we were able to pay it off in less than 10 years. And that really began to give us momentum. It took time. It took time and discipline. And that's the thing. What debt does is it removes the discipline. Doing things on credit removes the discipline. You can do it now and pay for it later. So you don't have to wait. You don't have to have the discipline. You don't have to check your motives. You don't have to check your heart. It's in the right place. You don't have to spend the time waiting. Is it really necessary to do this? You can do it now. 
The problem is you buy that one item now, then you feel, oh, I need the next thing. Then you add that, then you add that. Then some crisis happens in your life, and now suddenly you find yourself, and you're lying awake at night because of debt. It's not what the, what the Lord wants for you. That's not what Jesus wants. If I said yes to Jesus, my energy, my time, my efforts, my money is to be spent towards the direction of His purposes and plans for me, not in the stuff that I want, not in the things that I think will make me feel valuable. The fourth, third and fourth one I'm going to go through quite quickly is the third one is devote to saving. Devote to saving. Proverbs 21 verse 20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. I'm sure you don't want to be called a fool, but the Bible says if you don't put discipline in your life and actually begin to create space where you can invest and save for the future, you're a fool. And again, because Natasha and I, you know, we really worked hard at not having debt and we were prepared to live with less. And like I said, we bought our first house. But what I want to say to you also is, other than that one year that we had in Year of Your Life, when we led Year of Your Life, we got a full salary. For our whole 20s, we didn't get salary hardly ever. My first proper salary consistently was when I was 30. By the time we were 29, I was 29, we found out we were pregnant with our oldest son. We didn't have a job. We didn't have a home. We had nowhere because we led a training center for four years before that. After we, we were at Hatfield at the training center, we went and led the Bible school. And that closed down eventually. And for that time that we led that training center, we, we hardly got an income. Uh, Natasha had to work some extra jobs sometimes to get us money. We did have food and lodging, so that was taken care of, but we had no money. I can remember... We lived with students in the house, so every now and then we want to just escape her and I and go on a date night. And our date night would be going to the local spur. And in those days, I remember they had the salad valley that you could eat from. If you ordered something, you can get from the salad valley. So, so we would order a plate of chips and two glasses of water and then get some bread from the salad valley. And that would be our date night. We had no money. Really, I mean, we had no money most of the time. And, uh, but that was a fantastic time of discipline and living by faith because we made a decision. We recognized that because of our life's choices of saying yes to Jesus and that being about going into vocational ministry, we're probably never going to earn a lot. We're probably not, never going to have a lot of money. But we noticed, we knew that while we may not ever be able to pass on a lot of money to our children, we would be able to pass on to them habits about how you relate to money. That we could pass on to them. And one of the habits we wanted to pass on is to make sure that, that we grow in the value of saving and planning for the future. We wanted to start at that age already when we weren't earning a steady salary to say, we're thinking of our children and we're building in faith towards that. So we made a decision that we were going to take out a, like, a, like one of these investments that we had to give in 300 rand a month to it. And so we had to trust the Lord every month for 300 rand a month. We also started putting money away for our pension, even though we weren't earning a salary. So every month we'd have to say, Lord, please, you need to put money in our account. The debit order is coming off. Not to pay for something, but to invest. We said, if you can trust the Lord for pay for something, why can't you trust the Lord to invest in something? And, and we did that for all those years that we weren't earning a regular salary. Every month, without fail, we had that 300 rand, and it would go into the account. And it was that money that helped us when, we were 30 year, when I was 30 years old to buy our first house. That money was a big part of the deposit. I want to tell you, if you want to create momentum in your life, the one thing you do financially is you, you, you stay away from debt, 
You denounce debt and you devote yourself to saving. Because that creates momentum. Now, it takes time. And I can tell you the wonderful stories today, and I can laugh about it when we think about those years in our 20s. But it was painful when we were there. We had hardly anything. You know, we didn't have medical aid. So whenever something happened, we had to, it was always touch and go. And because of our history, we both had a bit of fear of, of financial ruin. And it was a tough time. We felt so small. We felt so little. We felt, and when we were 29 and we closed our training center and we came back and we lived with my mom and we had nothing, um, it felt like, have we failed? But those years in our 20s is where we learned such valuable disciplines that we live off today. And that has become what we will pass, are passing on to our children. That we are passing on to them what it means to have said yes to Jesus and what, how that changes our relationship with money. Um, I love what Einstein said. He said, today's mighty oak is just yesterday's nut that held its ground. Hold your ground. Don't give in to the pressure and the temptations of this world. Hold your ground and trust the Lord to start putting away for your financial security and stability so that you can come to the place where you can really take your resources all and say, this belongs to Jesus. Everything we do, it's about Him and it's with Him. The last thing is demand generosity. And by generosity, demanding generosity, Demanded of yourself. Demand from your own heart generosity. Most of us, when it comes to money, because we're so focused on how do I get money, we find it difficult to just give it. But the scripture tells us we have to demand generosity from ourselves. Proverbs 22 verse 9. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Blessed are those that are generous. Jesus himself, or in the New Testament, also says, blessed are, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed are you if you're a generous person. But to be generous, it takes work to get there. I'm not talking about just throwing money around and, you know, irresponsibly being generous to people, but you actually can't pay your own bills. That's not generosity. There's a bit of foolishness involved with that. I'm talking about generosity based on a lifestyle where your fundamentals are in place and where your generosity begins at home and where you've secured sometimes the most generous people are really bad at running their own finances because they have no sense of keeping track of it. They don't have a budget. So they give because they give emotionally. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a really generous, led-by-the-spirit person that can give your tithe because you're so thankful for what God has done, because you understand everything belongs to Him and that you're a steward of His finances and that can give offerings and that can help people. It's been so amazing for us over this last year with COVID how we've been able to help other people. And many of you have done that. And sometimes we give sacrificially because we actually wanted to do something. Now we can't do that because we're giving that money away. But it's based on, on healthy financial found, uh, you know, stability in our own homes. But we must demand generosity from ourselves. We must Give sometimes when it hurts. Uh, and again, like in our family, Natasha is so much better at seeing somebody has a need and recognizing when we have to give it. And then she'll come to me so often. It's not that I never do it, but mostly it's her that comes to me and says, listen, I think we should help these people. Man, and, you know, 
I immediately go into budget mode and like, we can't. And But when we think and talk about it a bit more, I realize this is the Lord speaking. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then we give. Now, the truth is you never outgive God. But sometimes it costs you. It always costs you. But we demand generosity from ourselves because we have a Savior. Saying yes to Jesus, the most generous act in the universe was Jesus dying on a cross for us. Saying yes to Jesus means I say yes to that level of generosity also. And we become people that are generous. That recognize we change the world not by what we get but by what we give. It requires that we get. But getting isn't the ultimate. It's so that we can direct and live towards the bigger purpose. The, the, the kingdom of God. So again, just quickly as I finish, the, those four things that I just wanted to share with you today. And there's such good teachings that many people give about this. So direct your money. Make a budget. Tell your money where it's supposed to go. Denounce debt. Avoid debt as much as you can. There's good debt to make. I always tell young people, sorry, I forgot to say this earlier. I always tell young people, the moment you can, buy, your, buy a house. If you can buy a little bachelor's flat with your first salary, buy it. Don't go and buy the car you've always dreamed of first. First, buy a little car that is reliable and trustworthy, but it, it serves your purposes. But if you can, buy a house. Your car payment cannot be bigger than your house payment, especially early on in your life when you begin. I know for many of us, the car is the thing that gives us, you know, look, oh, it's so cool. But you'll, you, you know, the moment you drive that car off the lot, it's lost 20% of its value, and it just keeps going downhill. Where you buy a house, you can have debt on that. It's normally cheaper debt than a car, but it also gains its value. And ultimately, it can really create momentum in your life. So have a, be careful with debt. It causes you not to be able to say yes to Jesus and everything you want to say yes to Him. Devote to saving. Begin to build habits that you can pass on. Even if you never are able to give money to your children, you can give them a good relationship with money. And then the last thing is de demand generosity from yourself. Live a lifestyle and a habit of generosity. Saying yes to Jesus changes your life. And one of the ways that we see it is how we spend and make our money. How we gather our money with righteousness and hard work talks about our love for Jesus. How we spend our money talks about our love for Jesus. So I want to invite you, say yes to Jesus in your finances. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name for this amazing reality of having said yes to Jesus. And I pray for every person that's with me today that has said yes to Jesus. I pray that in their finances, they will see the favor and the blessing and the structure and the order of the kingdom of God in their finances because they've said yes to you, which includes saying yes with their finances and with their money, with their income and their expenditures. We say help people, help us to be kingdom people that live kingdom lifestyles with what you entrust to us. We say yes to you, Jesus. I pray for people that have not said yes to Jesus or not said yes to you in their finances. And I pray today will be a point of turning where they will come and say yes to Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you are with us in these challenging and difficult days, that your presence is with us in everything. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me. 
After I end the service, there will be opportunity for you to connect with people. If you want somebody to pray with you or stand in agreement with you about something, or if you want to say, I want to say yes to Jesus, just tell the people that are in the chat rooms right now, or you can send an email to the address as it's on the screen, and we'd love to help you and connect with you. May the Lord bless you. May you experience His presence this week. Bye. Do you or someone you know need emotional, mental, or spiritual support? David and I are pastoral counselors at Hatfield's Hope Center, which offers online courses, webinars, and free counseling to individuals, couples, and families. And we're very excited to tell you about the two online courses starting in May, because we don't want you to miss out. Becoming One is for couples who want to get married and base their marriage on godly principles. Topics include roles and responsibilities, money, intimacy, personality styles, conflict, and communication. And the Smart Step and Blended Family course is for those wanting to improve their parenting skills and better understand the complications involved in a step or blended family. So if you're interested in either of these courses, email us at hopecourses at hatfield.co.za. You can also visit our Facebook page at Hatfield Hope Center. Join us this Wednesday in celebrating our spiritual freedom in Christ at our worship and prayer evening. These spiritful evenings are a safe space to let loose and freely express yourself in the presence of God and fellow believers. Collect your friends, family, community, or prayer group and join us on site for a complete experience of worship, dance, and the prophetic in the main auditorium. But please arrive at 7 p.m. for COVID screening. We're also meeting online, so if you can't make it on site, tune in to our YouTube and Facebook live stream. There's so much happening in our community that we'd love you to be aware of. If you're not on our mailing list and would like to receive electronic communication from us, please use the link on screen now to provide us with your contact details so that we can keep you connected. That's all from us. May you experience complete spiritual freedom in Jesus as you continue to say yes to Him this week. Bye. Bye.